Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we are picking up in verse 7. Last time, 6, six and 7 go together, 6, 7, and 8, but we were halfway through that section last time when we stopped. So let's open with a, a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the instructions it gives us as believers as to how you want us to live and to think. And uh, we just pray that as we go through this passage that you'll uh, open our hearts up to understand the things that you have for us and just bless our time as we study your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This is about suing your brothers. Yes, it is. Let's, chapter 6, let's read starting verse 1 and read through verse 11 because we might get into the next section or I hope to this morning. So. Chapter 6, 1 through 11. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law for the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, you are not competent to judge tribal cases, trivial cases. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I'll pass. <laughs> I, I grabbed the wrong Bible. <laughs> I say this to shame you. Is it possible there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? The brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brother and sister. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay. So, yeah, this section, uh, Paul is dealing with the fact that they are suing each other in the secular courts. And so he, um, he really uh, kind of launches into them here for the fact that, you know, they ought to be able to handle these things in the church. He talked about, the, not, about trivial things. These are not major issues. Um, and... They're going to unbelievers for a judgment, for a ruling on these issues. You know, laws, these are like civil lawsuits, not criminal lawsuits, but, or criminal cases, but civil lawsuits. Um, and he also kind of takes a dig at them because, you know, in the first five chapters, they're, they're talking about they're so wise they don't need Paul. <laughs> he says, now he's saying, if you're so wise, why can't you take care of these matters, you know, yourselves? Um, so he's a little sarcastic there. Uh, and then he says that, you know, it's not just that you're going to a, a public secular court with these matters, it's the fact that you're suing each other to begin with. I mean, you're already a, basically a loser. You know, it's not that you go to court and lose the case, the fact that you're 
take the case up at all, you're, you've lost already. Spiritually, you're a loser. Um, and so we talked about that, you know, about basically the idea of, of you know, turning the other cheek. Uh, don't, uh, don't return a evil for evil, but return a blessing in, in place of evil. Um, and the people who he's addressing in verse uh, 7, which says it's a defeat for you that you have lawsuits, these are the people who, con who were, thought they had been wronged. These are the ones who thought that had been cheated. These are the victims. And those are the people that Paul is condemning here uh, for bringing the court case up. God says he'll take care of it. Um, let's, let's go to Proverbs chapter 20. You know, it's the idea that God will take care of things is all through the scriptures. I read this this morning. Proverbs chapter 20. Someone like to read verse 22. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. Okay. And then the next verse talks about differing weights, you know, cheating by differing weights. But he says, God will take care of it over and over again. All through scripture we have that. You don't need to defend yourself. But not in the timelines we want. No. <laughs> their lives. It is tough. <clears throat> it is tough. We want to take vengeance. That's pretty natural. Um, and so, in a way, Paul's been dealing with those who are the plaintiffs in these cases, the ones who have taken up the lawsuits, the ones who have been wronged, the victims of this, of this business uh, problem, are wrong for bringing it up in court. They're hypocritical. They are hypocritical, and that's what we get into in verse 8. Um, okay, it's like uh, looking at 6, 7, and 8. But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers? Actually, then, it's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Then on the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, and that your brothers. So he's still speaking to the victims in this case. And he says, they are just as morally corrupt as those who are oppressing them. Uh, they injure their brothers. They defraud their Christian brothers, just like they've been defrauded. You know, they're all bad. <laughs> Let's look at it. There's another example in Romans chapter 2 that's similar to this. Romans chapter 1 talks about the depravity of man. Someone like to read in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same thing yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
Okay. This is, you know, we talk about let he, he who is without sin cast the first stone, and, or, you know, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. <laughs> Those are different ways of saying the same thing. You know, you condemn someone else, you know, your sin nature may not be identical to theirs, but you still have one. <laughs> We're still all, uh, none of us achieve the righteousness of God. Um, and so God is the one who is to judge. So it, it looks this way that, you know, everybody in this congregation is sinning. The Corinthians have all kinds of issues. You know, we're going to have two books written to the Corinthians all about all the different problems they have. Yeah, there was a previous one that we don't have, yeah. So there was three of them. Um, um, so that's why, you know, um, Paul says, shame on you, you know, in this case. I say this to your shame in verse 5, shame on you. So that's why he says that. Um, so these are... These are warnings that, that are given. I wanted to look at some others um, just through Scripture, examples of failures and warnings. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, and would someone like to read verse 13 for us? You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Okay. Don't oppress your neighbor. Don't rob him. And that idea of, of you know, a hired man's wages are to be paid to him on time. That was the, when we were looking at the term defrauding. It means to withhold what is due. And that's the same idea we have here in Leviticus. Let's go to, let's go to Micah. Find This is a test. Are there already? Micah chapter 2. I haven't found it there. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, yes. Micah chapter 2. Okay. Would someone like to read verses 1 and 2 here? Woe to those who plan inequity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Okay. So that's just examples of what was going on in the Corinthian church. We have it all through Scripture. That's, sin natures have not changed. That's what, they, that's what they were doing in the past, and they're still doing it. Um, let's look at Colossians chapter 3. Listen to a, a broadcast on how people can steal your 
ownership of your house, yes. oh. <laughs> get liens against them, and then you get the bills, and you're like, oh, I don't have a lien against my house. Oh. <laughs> but I don't even own it anymore. Colossians chapter 3, and someone likely verse 25 for us. Okay, so that that's in a passage where it's talking about, you know, God is the one who uh, requires uh, the penalty of us. He was the one who enforces. Now, this is in the middle of a section on the relationship between slaves and masters, and it applies to both. A slave who's cheating his master says, you know, God will require of it. And, or the master who mistreats his slave, God will require a penalty. That's why it says without partiality. He didn't, God doesn't care whether you're the slave or the master. Um, you violate his um, standards of righteousness and you are um, accountable to him. Uh, finally, let's look at one more. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Yeah, someone like to read verse 6 for us. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in, in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Okay, so here again, we said, you know, you defraud someone, you wrong them. Who takes, who takes vengeance? The Lord does, yeah. So you don't have to do it yourself. You may want to, but God says, no, that's my job to take vengeance here. <coughs> okay, so I think by the time we get through verse 8, Paul's, Paul's looking at the Corinthians and says, man, you guys treat each other so bad. He's, you know, um, and it's all of all us, everybody in the Corinthian church has problems, it seems like. And so I think at that point, you know, he's going to expand his exhortation um, and basically remind them to put off all their sinful practices. And so that's why it looks like we've got a major change between verses 8 and 9, where he really delves into all these major issues of sinfulness. Because he's been dealing with a couple of little things here, or smaller ones, specific items, and now he has to it's going to be an all-encompassing statement starting in verse 9 about the sins. So looking at next at verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. So... Verses 1 through 8 just dealt with the swindlers, and now he expands it to a whole much broader um, uh, package of, of sins here. And this is another one of our, you know, do you not know? He says, he's taught them this. They ought to know it. The other thing we have is it's combined here in verse 9 with, do not be deceived. Don't you know? Don't be deceived. Um, so, 
you know, we need to know God's word. We need to know it well enough that we don't get into being deceived, into compromising the truth by false teachers or what seems like a nice logical argument. I, you know, there's a lot of nice logical arguments, but if you, they sound good, but they're not scriptural. And so they're, they're, um, people get deceived and, and taken away from the truth. And, and Satan's behind a lot of that. I mean, he, he wants to mess up the church. Let's just turn in 1 Corinthians to chapter 15. Someone like to read verse 33 for us. Okay, and there's another, do not be deceived. Now, the, this phrase, bad company corrupts good morals, was a Greek proverb. And I think in 1 Corinthians 15, I think Paul's applying it more to um, doctrine, more than just morals, because the problem is, just turn back and, and, and look at verse 12, still in chapter 15. Would someone like to read that for us? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, so they're giving some false teaching. You know, bad company corrupts good doctrine, too. <laughs> um, and the result, you know, you start looking in, in like 16 through 19, you, you, they lose their hope. If there's, if there's no resurrection, what do you say? If, if, uh, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you're still in your sins. Yeah, they lose that sin. Um, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, and we who have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. All from the false teaching. So he's telling them, don't be deceived there about teaching, about false teaching. And so we have the same issue back in chapter 6. Don't be deceived about um, what kind of lifestyle is acceptable to God. You know, we had, was it chapter 5, we had the incest. You know, they were accepting it. They were accepting this person in the church. And so he continues to say, don't be deceived. Um, there are immoral lifestyles that uh, are not acceptable for Christians. Um, and so that's what he'll, he'll get into here in this, this phrase, uh, or in this place. 9010. So the statement he makes here, he begins by saying, you know, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This word unrighteous we saw back in verse 1, where it talks about going, you know, taking your court cases before the unrighteous. And compared to verse 6, he calls them unbelievers. So I think here it's the same thing. Unrighteous and unbelievers are used interchangeably. So he's talking about unbelievers will not inherit the kingdom of God, or the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he mentions it again at the end of verse 10, all these sins, and then he says, shall not, uh, they not, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, so you know, the unsaved have no part in Christ's kingdom. 
we have a similar warning in Galatians. So let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Someone like to read 19 through 21. 19 through 21. Okay, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice this or live live this way, and that's something that um, I'll get into later. I don't know if we'll get to it today, but it's you know when we look at the list in First uh, Corinthians chapter six, he doesn't say people who commit adultery. He says adulterers. They are identified by their sin. You know, it's not people who sin; it's sinners. And so here in Galatians, you know, he, he lists the sins, but then at the end he says those who practice such things, those who live this way habitually, that it's their lifestyle. We'll, we'll look at that a little closer later. Um, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. So we're talking about they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> what is the kingdom of God? Kind of a nebulous phrase. Yeah. yeah. It's Christ's reign. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we'll look at it. Yeah. So I want to look at a couple of verses that I think help define a little bit what Paul's talking about here. <laughs> yes. We see it throughout Scripture. First um, Corinthians chapter 15. Someone would like to read verse 50 for us. Okay, so to inherit something means to have it in your grasp. No, it's, it's not just that we're heirs of something. It means we actually have it when we inherit it. We see it. You know, we have we have our arms around it and hold it. You know, um, if it's money, we have it in our bank account. It's not just promised. And so that's what he's talking about here. We cannot see the kingdom of God until we have our new bodies, our spiritual bodies. We've been resurrected. So that means what he's referring to in chapter 15 is something that's still future. Because this hasn't happened yet. We haven't had the resurrection of the saints. So what we see in, in uh, 1550, we're talking about something that's still future. I want to go back to Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25. Someone like to read verses 31 through 34. Separates the sheep from the goats. 
You said? Okay, three, three. One more verse. Yes. Okay. I'm in the wrong chapter. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at my. Ch I was in. I was in 24. Yeah, you were in 25. Where you, one more verse. One th okay, through 34. Yeah. Okay. One more verse. Through 34. Yeah. The king will say to those on his right, "Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." Okay, so here we have inheriting the kingdom, like actually having it. So, when does this happen? The Son of God is coming in His glory. That's the second advent, which precedes the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. So here it appears that specifically the, the kingdom that these people are inheriting is, is the thousand-year kingdom of Christ's rule on earth. Um, and it's... It's not the Jews here, but it's the Gentiles who are being judged. You know, how did you treat the Jews? So Gentiles who have come through the Great Tribulation are judged here. And those who are acceptable will enter into the Millennial Kingdom. They'll inherit the Kingdom. So again, is this is something future. And specifically in, in Matthew, it's the, uh, the, the Millennium, the Millennial Kingdom. Now, um, when, when you look at a lot of the Old Testament prophecies that, that God made to Israel of all these things that are going to happen, they haven't happened yet. They're all future, and, and most of them will be are fulfilled during this thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. You know, beat the plowshares, or beat the swords into plowshares, um, uh, the lion and the lamb shall lie down together, and things, all that kind of stuff. The child play in the adders with the snakes, and that's the millennial kingdom. Christ's rule on earth. There'll be peace on earth. Um, Christo and Matthew, let's turn back to chapter 19. looked at this before. So um, someone like to read verse 28 for us. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, so this is Christ's kingdom when he reigns on earth. And again, it's future. We looked at this when we talked about, you know, that we'll judge the world. But it's all, this verse is kind of interesting because it talks about the regeneration. Well, that's the regeneration of the nation of Israel. There's the old story about the dry bones, the valley of dry bones, where they all come together. That's a portrayal of this. God will gather the Jews from around the nations, they'll be brought to Jerusalem, they'll be given new hearts. They'll, this is when God takes out the heart of stone, gives them a heart of flesh, 
they're all washed and cleansed from their sins and they basically they enter the millennial kingdom Israel is all saved all of them are saved they'll all be believers as they enter this thousand year reign but this is what they're talking about we ha- you know it hasn't come yet now what about us at the present time let's look at Colossians chapter 1 Someone like to read verses 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Okay. We've been transferred as believers to, you know, this is Satan's kingdom right now. We've been, that's the kingdom of darkness. When we're saved, we're transferred out of that into Christ's kingdom. He is not reigning on earth at this time, but we are part of a heavenly kingdom. So it's still a heavenly kingdom that we are in. And we can see that if we go to Philippians. Let's turn back to Philippians chapter 3. And someone like to read verse 20 for us. Okay, our citizenship is in heaven. So we are aliens here. Our, we are citizens of heaven. We are aliens here on earth in Satan's kingdom, the domain of darkness. So we don't belong here. And you probably feel that way sometimes. <laughs> you know, we just don't fit in. We don't belong here. Um, and then one last one. Let's, let's look at John chapter 3. And this is one where... Some people I don't think would believe or <laughs> agree with me on this one. But John 3, someone like to read verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, I think at this point, Jesus is specifically talking to Nicodemus, who is a Jew, he's a priest. As we see down below, verse 10, he says, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? So I think his... What Jesus is saying is he's talking about the nation of Israel at the regeneration of Israel entering the millennial kingdom. That's specifically what he's, that's what Jesus is addressing here when he's talking to Nicodemus. Now we take this and we apply it to us in the church age. But the primary intent of what Jesus is saying has to do with the, the future of Israel because he's talking to the, a Jewish priest who should be teaching from the Old Testament 
to the Jews about the promises God gave them of the future. But it does, but uh, now the same thing can be said of um, like on the day of Pentecost where the Spirit came upon the church and Peter gets up and he recites a passage from Joel which was specifically given to Israel about the same thing that the time when Israel was regenerated at the beginning of the millennium the spirit will come upon all the Jews well we've been given that spiritual blessing in the church but the primary um, I guess meaning of that passage in Joel has to do with God's promise to Israel and we have the same thing here in John chapter 3 so when we see the phrase kingdom of God I think there's there's two ways of looking at it. One is specifically the millennial kingdom, which is the promise given to the Jews. And Gentiles will enter that as well. We will enter it in our resurrected bodies. That will be God's, Jesus Christ ruling on earth, the kingdom on earth. At the present time, the church is part of God's heavenly kingdom. And so we are aliens here on earth in Satan's domain of darkness. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> it's confusing. Just we in, um, in this perspectives class, um, the kingdom of God is kind of dealt with in terms of when, when people, groups, come to Christ, they operate kind of like the church with the principles of God's kingdom. So they're aliens in this saintly realm. Right. But they, they can kind of have, I don't want to say heaven on earth, but they they yeah. kind of have principles they live by yeah. that are kingdom principles. Yeah. And, you know, in a, looking at analogies, you might look at, you know, a, a church, you know, this is not necessarily God's house. But we can look at it as being an embassy. So you've got Christ's heavenly kingdom, the church is an building is an embassy where we can come together as citizens of the heavenly kingdom and this is like a little portion of his kingdom on earth here yes so so that's my understanding of the kingdom of God <laughs> you're free to disagree um, so, yeah and we're ambassadors yes um, so whatever the kingdom of God is, the unrighteous, the unbelievers, are not going to enter it. They will not have it. Either the kingdom of God on earth now, uh, the heavenly kingdom, they will not enter that, nor the future uh, uh, millennium, they will not enter that. So, <clears throat> this seems like a major change of subject from the Corinthians suing each other in court. So, you know, why does God, you know, why, why does he make this change? So it, it could be a, a warning to the Corinthians uh, to really examine yourselves. You know, are, are you saved or are you, are you one of these unrighteous? It's like a, um, calling them to examine themselves, repent and accept Christ if they really are not saved. If this is the way you're living, if this is what you are, you, you need to be saved. Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians 
chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 13, someone like to read verses 5 and 6. Verse 6, he goes on, I trust you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. So here he's, you know, Paul is looking at, they're so bad, he's beginning to wonder if they're even saved. But he wants them to be saved. So he says, you know, examine yourselves again. Test yourselves. Um, in 2 Corinthians, let's turn back to chapter 12. And somebody like to read verses 20 and 21 for us. Okay, so he's still dealing with people in the Corinthian church practicing all these sins. When we get to 2 Corinthians, he says, you know, I've written to you, so really we've had two previous letters, now this is the third, and he says, you're still sinning, you're still doing all this stuff. Am I going to have to come and beat you upside the head, you know? <laughs> he says, he, he wants them to straighten up. Um, now the other thing this list does is it draws a real sharp distinction between unbelievers and believers and what a believer's lifestyle should be. So, we will get into that list next time. So, we'll look at the distinction between the two lists. We'll get into it next time. So, Joe? <laughs> You're on. You want to propose in prayer for us. Thank you. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, for the speaking that it does to us, for the way it talks to us. And for letting us realize that sin is sin, whether it be small or large. Sin is sin as you recognize sin as being sin. And Lord, let us realize that in our own lives, let us, let us be able to um, search our own hearts, search our own lives, to see if we are doing sinful things. But Lord, you thank you for this lesson. Thank you for the, for the lesson that's brought to us today. And we pray for Robert as he brings us um, this afternoon and his next sermon. We pray for that. We'll be here with hearts, ready to receive what you have for us. We thank you for this um, embassy that we can come to, this church we can come to, to share with our fellow believers and, and have this related this fellowship with you. In the first name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you've seen that list from Psycho